Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For the last several weeks, here at Saints Peter and Paul, we have been talking about various areas in our lives that God has placed us into in order to follow Him. Now, we've talked about being uh, disciples and disciple-makers as parents, as friends, as workers. And today, being the 4th of July, we'll be talking about following Jesus as citizens. Follow me and go and be citizens. And this might be one of the hardest areas to actually think about Jesus' involvement. Politics? Does Jesus really care about our politics? I mean, isn't the world of politics too messy for Jesus anyway? And what about the whole separation of church and state? Is it even appropriate to bring Jesus into the political conversation? Well, appropriate or not, we're going to do it. Uh, Because in our text today, Jesus himself is actually uh, plunged right into a heated political conversation. You see, these two groups who approach Jesus in our text, the Pharisees and the Herodians, these guys were uh, opposites on the political spectrum. They were political enemies of each other. The Pharisees, they opposed Roman rule. They endured it, they put up with it, but they didn't like it. But the Herodians, Herodians, they were uh, followers of King Herod Agrippa, who was a friend of Rome. They actually supported Roman rule. And so you have these two opposite parties who come together to Jesus to get him in a trap. Which political party will Jesus side with? Which political platform will Jesus endorse? This is what they're asking. But Jesus gives a surprising answer, and it reveals to us actually a path for how we can be Christian citizens, how we can follow Jesus in our politics in two important ways. And it's kind of a tension, uh, but the two things are respect the civil authorities and reform the civil authorities. Respect the civil authorities, listen to them, obey them, honor them, but also reform the authorities. Don't unthinkingly follow all that they tell you to do and and, and say, because there will come a time when what they say and do will clash with God's will for you or for the world. And so we need to hold them to account. God is the only one who deserves our complete allegiance not the government. So respect, yet reform. And we'll see how we get there as we look at Jesus' conversation today. But first, uh, Jesus shows us that we are to respect the civil authorities. Uh, Paul echoed Jesus in our reading from Romans 13 when he said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person, Paul says, every person be subject to to the governing authorities. Why? Well, not simply because they have power, 
because they can wield the sword, but actually because they are God's ministers. They are God's servants. There are no leaders, no governing authorities, no rulers, except for those which God has ordained. These men are God's public servants, and for this reason, give them their due in obedience by paying taxes and adhering to the law, by holding leaders up with respect, with reverence, by giving them honor. And Paul is speaking these words in a context when the political powers, the people in power, were were guys like Nero, tyrant, oppressive leaders. And Paul is telling them to respect their authorities. If it applies to them then, it certainly applies to us now. And Jesus, too, he says, give back to Caesar, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Obey the authorities, listen to them. Obey the laws, live by them. And as we think back on, well, this past year or so, you think back on the year 2020, there was a lot of things we were asked to do by the authorities. It was awfully challenging to follow all those. But Jesus calls for respect, not rebellion. And the historical context of Jesus' conversation actually draws this out even more strongly. So let me bring you up to speed on that. You see, the tax that they are referring to in this conversation, it's a specific one. It was called the head tax. And the head tax was an annual tax of one denarius. Now, that's not a lot. That's one day's wage for the poorest laborer. All right? But when the head tax was put in place, an insurrection actually rose about. And why did that happen? See, the tax wasn't a huge tax, but it, it symbolized something bigger. The tax wasn't a tax on goods, but it was actually a tax for the privilege of being a subject of Caesar. Right? The tax symbolized a greater allegiance to Caesar. And 25 years or so before this conversation that Jesus has, there was a, an armed revolt led by a man named Judas the Galilean. And when Judas the Galilean led this armed revolt, he did three things. First, he called on all the Jews to refuse to pay this head tax. Uh, secondly, he cleansed the temple. Right? He went into the temple in Jerusalem. He, he cast out all the foreigners. He got rid of all the Gentiles and all the Romans who were around. He cleansed the temple. And, and thirdly, he said, now we're not going to follow Caesar any longer. Instead, we're going to follow God. We're going to bring in the kingdom of God now. And see, it was a rebellion Judas the Galilean said, we're going to get rid of injustice. We're going to overthrow our oppressors. We're going to bring in the kingdom of God. It was a revolution that he was trying to start. Now, Judas the Galilean was captured, attacked, executed. But now it's 25 years later. And do you realize what's happening? Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. 
Right? This was the cornerstone of his teaching. He's been talking about the kingdom of God for years and what it means for the world. And just before our reading today, a chapter before in Mark 11, Jesus just cleansed the temple. He cast out the money changers and the animal sellers. And so now uh, these, these groups come to Jesus, and you see what they're asking. They're asking about this one thing that's missing. The one last piece of this armed revolt. What do you think about the head tax? You know what they're asking him? They're, they're asking, are you a revolutionary? You've cleansed the temple. You're, you've talked about the kingdom of God. What do you think about the head tax? Are you a revolutionary? And if Jesus says, don't pay the tax, then he's calling for an armed revolt again. See? But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Pay the tax. Respect the civil authorities. But, Jesus goes on, and give back to God that which belongs to God. Jesus brings in an important piece to this conversation. He brings God, actually, into the politics. And if Jesus had just said, just pay the tax, and that was it, it would have seemed as though the Herodians had won the debate. And that Jesus was saying, just, just submit to the authorities completely. Right? As if the kingdom of God didn't have anything to say about how things are run in this world. As if all the kingdom of God was about was, was some spiritual significance, and that's it. But no, Jesus challenges the Herodians by invoking God's name and God's kingdom. Whenever Jesus invokes the kingdom of God, whenever he quotes the Old Testament prophets about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about some spiritual inner peace. Well, the kingdom of God actually has a lot to say about how worldly governments are run, how systems are run. The kingdom of God was intended to deal with real injustice, real poverty, real suffering, real hunger. It was supposed to deal with those things. And so when Jesus invokes the kingdom of God, he's calling for that. Like he does in his very first sermon in Luke chapter 4. Where Jesus quotes one of the great kingdom of God passages from Isaiah. He says, the Holy Spirit has come upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. To set at liberty the captives and freedom for the oppressed. See, God is incredibly concerned with our politics. Because fundamentally, our politics are about who gets what, when, how. And God is a God of justice. God cares about those who are oppressed. He, he desires equity. And every governing system out there has its inequities because they're run by fallen people. Selfish hearts and agendas and and inequitable hearts. But Jesus doesn't say, well, yeah, that's, that's just kind of the way it goes. 
just put up with it for now, pay your taxes, and, and we'll sort it all out when I'm back. And Jesus doesn't say that. And Jesus calls for reform. Jesus, the Galilean, is envisioning a revolution. He is. But it's a different sort of revolution than Judas, the Galilean. Jesus was, was neither accepting the system for how it was, nor was he calling for outright public revolt. Yes, Jesus is saying, a revolution is happening, but not in the way that you imagine. The temple will be cleansed, but not in the way that you envision. I am a revolutionary, but like no revolutionary you have ever seen before. Because Jesus the Galilean will go to his grave, battling against the injustices of his own political system in his day. He'll battle against the oppressive regime of the Pharisees who lord their authority over the the weaker ones in the church, the, the sinners and tax collectors, the widows and the weak. Jesus will exploit the Roman government for for its brutal tyranny as they put to death and crucify the innocent Christ. Jesus would bring about his revolution by self-sacrifice and by love of the other. So there you have it. Respect and reform. Two ways that we can follow Jesus as citizens, but what does that actually look like in practice? That's Those kind of like ideals. How how do we actually uh, put this to practice in our lives? Well, I have three takeaways today of how you can respect and reform in your world. First and foremost, and hopefully this one is obvious by now, but in case it isn't, I'll just say it again. Obey the law. Respect the civil authorities. They deserve respect by virtue of their God-given office. And I know that that's a tough one to actually swallow. But Scripture is very clear about authority, that it's all derived from God, no matter how corrupt the leaders are. Leaders will one day have to answer to God for how they used their authority. But we are called not to rebel, but to respect the authorities. And it's worthwhile to remember Jesus on his way to the cross, that he would say to Pilate, putting him to death, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from God above. If there was ever a corrupt government, it was probably the one that put the sinless Son of God to death. And yet Jesus calls for respect. Respect the civil authorities. None of this not-my-president stuff. Right? Pay them the honor they're due. Secondly, answer the call to engage as citizens. Lean into it. The kingdom of God that Jesus came proclaiming and that he actually inaugurated by his life and death and resurrection, it's not only concerned with salvation, eternal salvation. It is. Don't get me wrong. It is concerned with that, but it's also concerned with the world today, how things go in the world presently. 
and our following of Jesus ought to push us further into the political realm, into who gets what, where, how. Because these things are on the heart of God. Scripture attests again and again to God's heart as a social advocate, as one who comes to the defense of the beatdown, of the broken, of the oppressed, of the marginalized. And it's easy sometimes, and this is, this is what I need to confess of, it's easy to wring my hands, kind of shake my head at the world of politics and just kind of step out and say, I'll just let them deal with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But that's easy to do when you don't need advocating for. It's easy to do when things are going okay for you. But what about the ones who are oppressed, even in our land? How can we proclaim good news to the poor? How can we release those who are captive in our midst? What social agencies can we be involved in to help? Lean into the political sphere. Advocate for others. Vote and work to affect change. But how do we get there? How how, how do we get these reforms to happen? Which political party do we need to belong to in order to bring Jesus' agenda about? You see, that's, that's the trap that the Herodians and the Pharisees were falling into, trying to get Jesus to go into one party or the other. And this is my last takeaway, number three. No political party has a claim on Christianity. Look at Jesus. When Jesus speaks to us about our relationship with him, he's very clear. He speaks very simply, right? I am your Lord. Obey me. (laughs) Clear. I am your Savior. I have rescued you. You are forgiven. Simple. But when Jesus speaks about our relationship to the state, our relationship to politics, it's not so simple. Those two groups came to Jesus asking for a nice, simple yes or no. This side or that side. But Jesus' answer is nuanced. It's balanced. It's It's almost paradoxical. And Jesus doesn't give them a straight answer. They want a yes or no, but he won't do it. And you see, there's actually a lot of room in the political sphere for us to to respond as Christians to many different issues, right? Uh, There's lots of, of issues we can be involved in. Is environmental stewardship important? Does the Bible have anything to say about us taking care of the environment or of nature? Well, Genesis 1 and 2 might have something to say about that, right? And what about immigration policy? What what does the Bible have to say about loving the sojourner in our midst? Look at Deuteronomy 10. And when it comes to issues of life, of course, the Bible has much to say about the sanctity of life. But you see there are issue after issue on a wide spectrum that you can be involved in, that that deep Christian convictions can lead you to act upon. And so, act upon those, but understand it's a wide array. You can be voting across a spectrum. What you shouldn't do is say, this over here is Jesus' 
political party. Or, or this over here is Jesus' platform. Jesus doesn't do that to himself. He doesn't put himself in a box. And we shouldn't do that to him either. If you're not sure where the Bible lands on any particular issues, also feel free to come uh, talk to me. I'd be happy to, to help uh, guide, uh, guide you to some answers if you have questions. But a general rule of thumb, just to throw it out there, is a love of neighbor. Right? When we're, we're voting on anything, when we're considering any policy, what is going to benefit my neighbor the most? What is going to help change their life for the better the most? Right? If we would have kept reading Romans 13, Paul says that love of neighbor is how you fulfill the law. Now let me just conclude briefly by reminding you of why we are led by love of neighbor. It is because of the God who has loved you. Remember when Jesus was holding up that coin, that denarius? And he asked the people standing there, whose image is on this coin? And then he said, give back to, to Caesar because it's his image that's, that's on the coin. But when Jesus then turns and says, give back to God, he's saying, give back to God that which has God's image on it. That's you. You have the image of God imprinted on you. You have been created in the image of God. And more so than that, you actually belong to God, not only because you've been made in His image, but because His Son, Jesus, submitted to the civil authorities. Because Jesus Christ submitted Himself to Pontius Pilate. And even though that was an injustice, Jesus still went to the cross to pay for every injustice that you and I have ever committed against God, against government, against one another. You have been forgiven by Jesus. He has taken all your sin upon Himself. And your guilt and your shame, He bears that load for you. You are free. You are free of that. And that is a freedom we should celebrate today as well. So go from this place as God's beloved, as citizens of America, but also citizens of the kingdom of God. That Jesus paid back to God what you deserved. So pay him back what he deserves. Join his revolution as you live and work and serve even in the political sphere. Follow me and go and be citizens. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard our hearts and minds, the one true faith of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.